Hello, I'm Rod Butler. Welcome to Let God Speak. Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial on the 28th of August 1963 in front of more than 200,000 people and delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. He said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. Well, six decades on, sadly, much of the world still judges people purely on externals. But nearly 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul gave the solution for true brotherhood and reconciliation amongst all people and nations. On our program today, we're going to discuss that solution. On our panel today, we have Alan Fisher and Pearl Fram. Welcome. Thank you. Well, before we begin our study today, let's bow in prayer. Gracious Father, we want to thank you and praise you that we can discuss this important topic. And as we discuss this topic, we ask for the Holy Spirit to guide our discussion. And may we uh, speak clearly, Lord, and may the viewers have understanding. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Ephesian society consisted of groupings of people such as Jews and Gentiles, Asiatics and Europeans, Roman citizens and others, slaves and freemen, to name a few. These were rigid class divisions that not only kept people in social groups, but generated hatred between the groups. Now, the young Ephesian Christian church was not immune to this and needed to understand that this social tribalism had no place in the church. In Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, Paul addresses the subject of unity. Paul had used a metaphor before to describe how diversity and unity was to coexist in the church. So on that metaphor, Paul, what was that metaphor that he, he used? Yes, he uses the metaphor of the human body. So, you know, the human body has many different parts. You know, we have hands, we have feet, we have legs, arms, you know, and and they all work together in order for our brain to accomplish what we want to accomplish. Uh, Same as, you know, this this metaphor is is used in Romans 12 and Corinthians 12 as well um, to to explain kind of how the church is to work together. You know, you've got multiple different members in the church and they're all, you know, one person is different to another person. One person can fulfill different roles to another person. And they all work together under God, who is the head uh, that is controlling the church. Um, and, and therefore we can have unity in Christ. Yes, yeah, beautiful how the church has, some people have the gifts of, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts, the gifts of teaching or preaching or healing, helps, hospitality. And even though we have different gifts, we're all equal. No one's got uh, a gift that's more important than anybody mm. else. So there is complete unity. Mm. And as you say, the body is a beautiful metaphor of that, mm-hmm. of the church, how it should be. Well, it's, it's a high ideal um, to have, but people tend to naturally want to group into their, their common interests. So, Alan, what was the main barrier in the church that Paul was dealing with? Well, the big thing was the barrier between Jews and Gentiles. 
the Jews considered that they were somehow better than the Gentiles. They had some sort of an edge over the Gentiles as far as salvation was concerned because they considered themselves to be the circumcised. They were children of Abraham and they considered that um, the Gentiles were just dogs, is one term they used. And yeah, they were part of Abraham's seed and somehow they felt that that gave them a, a ticket to heaven. And so even in the church, this occurred, the Jews and Gentiles, there was still this division between them. Doesn't it highlight too just how strong tradition can be with any groupings of people? And uh, we have to be aware of that ourselves today. Well, let's get into the book of Ephesians. I'm going to start by reading Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verses 11 to 14. And uh, Pearl, I'm going to come to you with a question on this. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 11, verses sorry, chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at the time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us. Now, Paul, just on this, uh, why would Paul, uh, why would uh, Paul ask uh, his, the Ephesian church to remember? What's significant about remembering here? Well, you know, I think for someone who has been in the faith for a while, you know, or... Or say, I don't know, for myself, who's, who might have grown up in the church, may not have had a massive conversion experience, so to speak, uh, like someone who may have been out, you know, and, and done things that perhaps I haven't. It can be easy to think that, you, you, you know, you kind of, you stand in, in a, you, you don't see where God has really led you from. It's, it's easy to forget what God has actually done for you. Um, and I think this is what Paul's trying to help them to remember, you know, that I'd like to read Ephesians chapter two, verses one to three. It says, and you hath he quickened who were dread, dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And, you know, I think we need to always remember that we are sinful human beings. You know, no matter where we come from, no matter what, what our past may have been, we are sinful human beings and that is who we are, you know. And, we're, and to remember that we all came from the, we all came as sinners. Exactly, hmm. exactly. And no one's better than anybody else. Here. Correct, yeah. 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 So getting to the, uh, back to you, uh, Alan, with the, 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 the situation in the Ephesian church, how does Paul emphasise how wide this, this gulf was between the Jews and the Gentiles? Well, it was very wide. In verse 14, 
Yeah, Paul speaks of it as the middle wall of middle wall of separation, a middle wall of partition, one version calls it. And this shows how complete the barrier was between them. There was no no mingling between them, like a wall between them, so there was certainly no unity. Yeah, it's hard to imagine groups getting together with a, with a massive wall dividing the two. It's, uh, it's just not possible, not possible at all. Pearl, we've, got the, we've drawn the picture here from what Paul's saying. There's this massive gulf of, uh, of disunity. There's a, mm. a dividing wall. So how does, how does Paul, what's his starting point for unity? Verse 13, I really like verse 13 of chapter 2 in Ephesians. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And this is really the key, that we all are sinners and we all need Christ's saving power. And I think when we can all realise and recognise that we are sinners and actually kneel at the foot of the cross, and this is the the point of unity, the point of binding for all Christians, because we all are the same and we all have to bow at the foot of the cross and it's Christ's blood that saves us, nothing else. Mm. Salvation's the same for everybody. Exactly. Yeah, very, very good, very good. Um, Alan, going back to the, the Jews and the, and the Gentiles again, how is it possible that the, the Jews were now Christians, right? So we're dealing with Christians. How is it possible that the Christians still believed, the Jewish Christians still believed they had an advantage over the Gentiles, a spiritual advantage, a salvation advantage? How did they, how'd they come to that? Well, they'd had 1,400 years of history as God's chosen people. They'd been, God had called the Jews first to proclaim his message to the world and the Jews were given the commandments and they had, their whole culture was based on what God had given, their feast days and their all their things that they had, and they'd been called out of slavery miraculously. And so, yeah, they had a, all this history that was ingrained in them. And um, we read in Romans, Romans 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. So they'd had the... Um, the word of God given to them. And so they felt they had a better knowledge than others. You remember when Jesus was talking to that Samaritan woman at the well, he told her, he said, you worship you know not what. This is in John 4, 22. He said, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. And so the Jews had had this long history of being God's chosen people, and they came to think that that was what saved them. But knowledge and advantages like that don't save anyone. Only faith in Christ can save them. Mm. You're looking at it in a smaller way. You can sometimes see in churches, um, you know, just because mum and dad are good Christians in the church, that's not your ticket to heaven. Mm-mm. Everyone's got to come to Christ individually. Mm. And uh, it, it highlights too this, this situation, the strength of tradition and culture that can shape people's thinking. Well, let's keep reading. We're going to keep reading Ephesians now. We're going to read verses 15 and 16. And um, 
Pearl, I'm going to ask you, how is reconciliation achieved, okay? So let's read the, um, the verses. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So Pearl, um, just on that, how is reconciliation achieved? What's Paul saying here? Well, in the natural heart, you know, there's, there's that enmity, the pride, the prejudice against other people. Oh, you know, you don't think the same way as me or you don't believe the same way as me. So therefore I'm better or whatever. Uh, that's, you know, that's the human heart wants to do that. Whereas when we come to Christ, Christ, God is love and there can be none of that in Christ. Um, so I want to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 and it says, Therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I think here's the secret, you know, because when we come to Christ, we partake then of his nature. So then we partake of his his love and we become like God. And so therefore, um, we don't have that enmity or shouldn't have that enmity and prejudice and pride against, you know, other people that we deal with. Yeah, it's interesting that um, if we if we are new creatures, all our traditions and cultural baggage is put aside mm-hmm. and we're reconciled to God. Mm-hmm. It's interesting um, and very powerful that. Now, Alan, the, the cross itself, um, think of the, the cross with a, with the vertical and the, the horizontal. A, as a symbol, how, can we, how does that sort of symbolise reconciliation between God and between man and man? Well, well of course, this is only a symbol, only as a symbol. you said. But we can think of the vertical piece as um, pointing to our reconciliation with God. Like in Romans 5.10, it says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And um, here in Ephesians verse 16 of chapter 2, it speaks about God reconciling both, both the Jews and the Gentiles unto God in one body. And we can think of the horizontal piece of the cross as um, symbolising reconciliation with our fellow men. So. Yeah, because it says in verse 15, it says, to make of himself of twain, that's you know, two people, now one person, one man. So this is reconciling two different people into, into one. So yeah, Which is, as you say, the horizontal would be a symbol of that, wouldn't it? Some versions, though, with uh, verse 15, it's an interesting verse, verse 15. Some versions, such as the NIV and the the New Living Translation, just to name a few, they say that um, they translate it, ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. So, So based on that wording, some say that reconciliation is achieved by getting rid of the, the Ten Commandments. So, Pearl, are the Ten Commandments done away with in verse 15? No, no. <laughs> we, see, we see in the rest of uh, the Bible 
in fact, even in Paul's writings itself, that Paul actually shows really deep respect for the Ten Commandments. Um, just to name a few passages where he quotes the fifth commandment of Ephesians in, of sorry, the fifth commandment in Ephesians chapter six, verse two and three, and he also alludes to others like the seventh in Ephesians five, verse three, fourteen, and twenty-one to thirty-three. The eighth commandment he talks about in Ephesians four, verses twenty-eight, and the ninth in Ephesians four, verses. 25, the 10th in Ephesians 5 verses 5. So we can see here there's a great lot of verses yeah, wh- that he actually talks about. Why, why would he want to do away with the Ten Commandments when he's referring to them later on in Ephesians? Oh, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and this also aligns with Paul's earlier, um, where, where he talks about the Ten Commandments earlier. Um, I'd just like to read Romans 3 verses 31. And it says there, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. So there's obviously a law that is established. Um, And Romans 7 verse 12 here also says, Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. So when you look at this, He's saying in one place, you know, the law's done away with, and another place the law is kept and established. So therefore, maybe the question is, what what law? Yeah, there's one law which has been got rid of, but which one is it? Yeah. Alan, what have you got to say about this? Can you think of any other references about the perpetuity of the Ten Commandments? Oh, well, there's a number of them, but I can give you a couple here, for example. Let's look at... Um, Matthew 5:17 this is Jesus himself speaking he says do not think that i am come to destroy the law or the prophets i did not come to destroy but to fulfill and then when we go over to revelation it speaks about how god's last day people will be keeping the commandments let's look at verse um, chapter 14 verse 12 here is the patience of the saints here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So it's a characteristic of God's true last day people that they'll be keeping the commandments. Yes, yeah, so there's no ambiguity here. We're not talking about the Ten Commandments. And it's been interesting too that in Romans uh, 5.13 and 1 John 3.4, which the law is a uh, sin is transgression of the law. Uh, last time I checked, uh, sin's still around, so there must be a law around. Um, and, but... In Ephesians, a law has been gotten rid of. So which one Mm. is it, Pearl? It's not the Ten Commandments. What is it? No, no. So, uh, you know, the the certain versions of the Bible, actually, they say that the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances. So here it's referring to the ordinances, so the, you know, more the ceremonial aspects of the law. And it's interesting if you look at it in context, because it's, it's talking about those ceremonial aspects that have been, that the Jews, you know, maybe misinterpreted um, and it became a wedge between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so that whole system of laws and ceremonies that the Jews had misconstrued uh, and had turned into a wedge that 
that was dividing the church, that was what was done away with. Right. So it's really the ordinances which was like was given to Moses, Moses. on the side of the ark, not in the ark. Mm. Okay. So, Alan, um, reconciliation is talked about. What are the fruits of reconciliation? Well, when we look at verse um, 16 and 17 of Ephesians 2, it's been speaking in the preceding verses how God's broken down that wall of separation that we mentioned and verse 16 that he might reconcile them both, the two classes, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. So reconciliation um, brings peace and removes burdens. And when we're reconciled to God and born again, with, um, we're new people with the love of Christ in our lives. Mm. So it does away with this enmity between the classes. And doesn't the world need that right now? Mm. With strife Absolutely. everywhere. Mm. That, is, that is the solution that Paul gave all those years ago, which is applicable right now. Mm-hmm. The, the solution to the enmity and the strife is Christ. Mm. Okay, well, <coughs> excuse me. Um, those that have been reconciled, what are, the, what are their obligations? They've, they've accepted Christ, they've been reconciled. What are their obligations? So Isaiah 48 verse 22 says, There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. And if we turn over to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15, we see that it says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So here we have a contrast between the, the wicked who have no peace mm. and the gospel which brings peace. So therefore, you know, our obligation to understand this peace and where this peace comes from is to share, you know, with people who don't have peace and don't know where mm. peace comes from, this wonderful gospel of peace. And if we have that, um, that peace, we will want to share that. We'll want to uh, because we see what the effect of the, the wicked have no peace mm. and we've got something that they want. So we'll want to share that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Alan, the cross demolishes this barrier that's dividing people right? And it brings reconciliation. But Paul also talks about whilst it demolishes something, it also builds something. What's it building? Oh, this is another metaphor, another symbol that speaks about his God's building a new temple composed of believers. When we look here at verses um, 18 to 22 of Ephesians 2, it says, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Remember, as you said, They didn't have access, the Gentiles, into the temple before that. And then reading on, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and in whom you also are being built together 
for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so the church becomes a living temple for God to dwell in, and we are all parts of that temple. That, that raises a whole lot of thoughts. I mean, you think how the Jews went out of their way so the temple wouldn't be defiled. And if you apply that to us having our, our bodies being the temple, we wouldn't want anything to defile our bodies. Mm. So we'd want to make sure that our bodies are kept holy. That puts our Christian experience in a whole new, a whole new perspective. <clears throat> what was the significance of this metaphor for the Gentiles, Pearl? Well, it's interesting to note that the Jews, you know, as you said, they, they held their sanctuary very holy and they had once again twisted the laws of Moses to create boundaries against the Gentiles uh, around this temple, you know, so that a Gentile couldn't enter the temple uh, without death, basically. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting that Jesus came to show that this, this was not the way that he'd intended things to be. And he came to, to break down those barriers and bring everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, into, into harmony together and into his one great big family of saved believers. Yeah, yeah it's interesting that it wasn't, God that had the problem, the Jews became the problem. They became insular. Mm -hmm. They wanted to uh, retain the blessings for themselves. They mm -hmm. wanted to withhold it from the Gentiles who they thought were sinners. Mm. And um, now that we have this uh, Paul saying that they are the temple themselves and they've got free access to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That would have been very, very liberating for the Gentiles. Would have been a wonderful message. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Alan, going back to this metaphor of the temple, what is, what is the main feature of this, this temple metaphor? Well, this, the temple that God is building is a living temple made up of his um, people. We read here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, he says, For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so God dwells in this temple to um, be with his people. And as it said in Ephesians, that um, we are part of that temple and we'll have the Holy Spirit living in us. So what a wonderful promise that is. Yeah, aren't they beautiful words? I will dwell in them and walk with them. Isn't that uh, marvellous? With the Holy Spirit in us, we have God dwelling with us uh, constantly. Well, our time is gone. That's all we've got time for now. Thank you, Pearl, and thank you, thank you, Alan. Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22 shows the power of the cross to change lives and bring peace in relationships among all people, groups, or races. Jesus' death on the cross brings reconciliation. The unity amongst believers in the church is a witness to the world that God's ultimate plan to unite all things in Christ is underway. The cross with its vertical piece of wood is symbolic of reconciliation of man with God, and the horizontal piece of wood is symbolic of reconciliation between people. The solution to strife and wars amongst people and nations today is the cross. The world needs Jesus. Thank you for joining us on Let God Speak. All past programs plus teachers' notes are available on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Email us 
on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Join us again next time. God bless. We look forward to seeing you for another exciting topic of Let God Speak. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.